just wanted to share a couple of thoughts, and then I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's always been my <clears throat> privilege to be a story storyteller in the kingdom of God, and it's also always been my privilege to be the one that has brought a bit of humor into things, because when I first came to Jesus back in the early Jesus movement, a lot of Christians didn't even know they could have a good time, you know? It was like ugliness was next to godliness, and the more you frowned and the more upset you looked, the more holy you were. And, uh, you know, I came from a world where we were always looking for a good time. And so coming into a world where everybody was supposed to be saved and joyful and filled with the Holy Spirit, to see them all looking like they died a week ago and didn't have the guts to lay down anywhere was a bit confusing for me. <laughs> I remember what Papa John Wimber said when he first started going to church. You know, he went in and he said, okay, when are we going to do the stuff? And the deacon said, well, we don't do the stuff anymore. And John said, why not? I got to do the stuff when I was with the devil. So uh, I like the stuff. I like the fact that for me, the symbols of humanity are humor, dancing, and song. Because we're the only ones of God's creatures that can do those things. And there are animals that do a very, uh, a very kind of a ritualistic dance when they mate, but it's not something they do consciously, it's just instinctively. And there is music all around us if we take the time to just stop and listen, but we're the only ones that actually sing on purpose. And we're the only ones that actually sit down and draw from God to create songs. And we're the only ones that get a joke. You know, there are a lot of animals that make uh, ha-ha noises, but they're just noises. We're the ones that actually get the jokes. I mean, people say that what makes us human is opposable thumbs, but apes have opposable thumbs. Uh, uh, they can communicate, they even use tools, so it can't be that. It has to be something else that makes us human. Well, what is it that's unique about us? We dance, we sing, and we get a joke. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm good with that. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, <clears throat> well, this is a little something I have here in my, uh, in my uh, I don't know what this is. It's just been something I've been keeping for, well, the first entry is 2005. So this is about grace. I'm a big grace person, okay? Now God, they say, has uh, three characteristics that are absolutely immutable. Uh, one, he's just. Two, he's merciful. And three, he's gracious. And I have studied that, and I am really impressed with the fact that God has a DNA that makes him just. He is just. I mean, that is one of the definitions of who God is. He is just. Well, in order to be just, you have to have the DNA of mercy because there is no justice without mercy and uh, there is also no mercy without justice, okay? So God is merciful and God is just, but he extends grace to us because he wants to. Grace is unmerited favor. Therefore, it has to be a gift. And so God has to decide to give us grace. And he has decided to give us grace. And he has never, ever, ever, ever rescinded the decision to love us that much. So I'm a big grace dude, okay? 
I'm a big dude, period, you know. <laughs> I'm getting bigger and bigger. The older I get, see, all of this used to be up here, you know. I'm, I'm not really fat. I'm just a victim of gravity, you know. Uh, but it's getting pretty rough, I got to say. Um, I've decided to quit fighting the battle. You know, I'm 65 this year. I've been fighting my weight all these years. I decided to quit fighting. I just made a friend out of my stomach and uh, named it. This is Rufus. Rufus. Everyone, everyone, Rufus. Um, problem I have now is Rufus sort of has a mind of his own. He jerked me out of bed the other day. I was sitting, uh, I guess I was laying a little close to the edge, and I rolled over, and Rufus bailed out and uh, jerked my little self right out behind him, you know. Uh, so I got to get him under control. I, went, I thought, well, it'd be nice if I jogged a little bit. Maybe I could change Rufus to Reggie, which just sounds like a smaller name, doesn't it? Rufus Reggie. So I was going to change Rufus to Reggie. I went out. I got about four trots into my jog, and Rufus jumped up and slapped me in the face. And he said, what are you doing? Go eat a cookie and watch Oprah. So I guess we're pretty much out of luck here. So. I know that when I go off on these rabbit trails, you think to yourself, well, he's going to lose his place because he's a gray-headed old man and they're forgetful. And I'd just like to say, if you don't mind, for the grayheads in the audience, I'm going to go ahead and blow our cover. <laughs> We're not forgetful. We just don't want to do what you people say. And uh, it's, just easier, it's just easier to say I forgot than argue with people that don't have a clue. Amen? <laughs> anyway... Uh, uh, <laughs> Because see, all your life you know what you know, but when you get in your 60s, you realize what you don't know. So knowing what you know makes you smart, but knowing what you don't know makes you wise. Amen? <laughs> Woo! That's why gray head, gray head is a sign of wisdom. Grace. I love this. Got this out of a little magazine called Weavings, which I really enjoy. Grace not only follows the judgment of God, but precedes it. In other words, God, we think that we're given grace after we've messed up. And grace is something that keeps us from being punished the way we ought. But the truth is, that's mercy. That's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. So you don't get grace after you've messed up. You get grace all the time. Grace not only follows the judgment of God, but precedes it. Grace comes to us before birth and sees us through. Grace is the context in which creation lives and moves and has its being. We dwell in it. We float in it. We are saved by it again and again. And so we can risk and venture and fail and fall because we fall into the arms of a gracious God who always allows us to try again. I like that. Very much, very much. Uh, this one is uh, from the Lindensfarne section of the Anglican Digest. We're not citizens of this world trying to make our way to heaven. We are citizens of heaven trying to make our way through this world. That radical Christian insight can be life-changing. We are not to live so as to earn God's love or inherit heaven and purchase salvation. All those things are given to us as gifts, gifts bought by Jesus on the cross and handed over to us. We are to live as God's redeemed, as heirs of heaven and as citizens of another land. 
the kingdom of God. We live as those who are on a journey home, a home we know will have the lights on and the door open and our Father waiting for us when we arrive. That means in all adversity, our worship of God is joyful. Our life is hopeful. Our future is secure. There is nothing we can lose on earth that can rob us of the treasures God has given us and will give us. I love that. Amen? Now, I must say, there are some verses of Scripture. I, I'm very rarely confused by Scripture anymore. And I think I've been given a great gift by God in that I get it. You know, I read it, and uh, I don't try to make it real complicated. And, you know, I don't try to read stuff into it that's not there. And I don't try to twist it around to fit some prophetic word that I think I got, which isn't really prophetic. It's just pistachios. So as a result, I don't have a lot of confusion about what the Word says because I'm one of those people that believes the Word means what it says. So, you know, I read it and uh, I'm very rarely confused by it anymore. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that because i got to say, you know, when I got saved, well, let's just say the 60s were very good to me. <laughs> I know they were because I don't remember them at all. And, uh, yeah, they say if you remember being at Woodstock, you weren't there, you know, so... Uh, Anyway, 60s were very good to me. I did a lot of, a lot of uh, how, how do we call it today? Controlled substances. Um, and they had no effect on me whatsoever. So <laughs> wasn't that funny? I love it when I do that. People are always so shocked. I see everybody go, you know, so uh, that was just a Joe Cocker moment. I'm okay. And if you don't know who that is, it's just because you're too, too young to know. Anyway, which is actually sad. But anyway... Um, there are verses of Scripture, though, even though I understand them, that are really, really hard to do. How many of you know that there are Scriptures that are hard to do? Well, the Lord never ever said this was easy. He just said it was possible. And He said that those things we can't do, He would send us a Holy Spirit that would give us the strength to do those things that we can't do. Actually, last, uh, last night our reading was from John 14 where the Lord was saying, these works you shall do and greater works you shall do because I go to, the Spirit, go to the Father. But right above that, he had told them, I go and I will send you a comforter who is the Holy Spirit. So the reason we can do the things that Jesus did and even greater things than Jesus did is because he has sent us this comforter and this helper called the Holy Spirit. So... Even though some of this stuff is hard, we can do it. You know, there's a verse of scripture in Deuteronomy. It says, uh, this is not too hard for you. You don't have to go to heaven and get it so that you can do it. You don't have to go to a far land and get it and do it. No, the word of God is very near to you. It is in your heart and in your mouth so that you can do it. All right. So when people say, oh, I'm sorry, it's too hard. I go, well, uh, I got a choice of believing you or I have a choice of believing the Lord and <laughs> guess what? You know, so uh, anyway, so it says it's not too hard. Doesn't mean it isn't hard. It just means it isn't too hard. It doesn't mean that it's easy to do. It just means that it's doable. Amen. Yes. 
we get this cotton candy idea of what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and somehow we have this big pink cloud we're floating over all the world's adversities on and nothing's supposed to touch us and no rainy days are supposed to come and we're not supposed to have any valleys. We even invented theology to cover all of that. Problem is, that's not true. It doesn't work. And you get very confused when you have that theology and go through stuff that's unexplainable and yet undeniable. Amen? The stuff that takes your breath away. Young people, I love you guys because you're so smart. I mean, you absolutely know everything and you're prepared for everything and you're not going to make any of the mistakes that we made, you know, and you're prepared for life. I mean, you have your pith helmet on so the sun doesn't get you and your skeeter net on so life doesn't bite you and your long gloves on so you can handle the roses and ignore the thorns. I mean, your guys are cool. You have your long sleeves on so you don't brush up against anything nasty. You have your snake boots on so that nothing can bite you from the underbrush and you you are 16 years old and ready for anything. An immortal, absolutely super intelligent human being and you take one step out into the world and find the rake. Bam! You know? Because <laughs> I must say... I must say, it's the stuff you're not prepared for that knocks your brains out. See, that's why you always have to be walking where the Lord wants you to walk, yielded entirely to the Holy Spirit, because when those rakes fly out of the bushes, they are going to hit you in the head, they are going to knock your teeth out, but God can get you through those experiences, see? It's not that we are avoiders, we are overcomers. Lord didn't say, I come so that you can avoid all the situations. He says, I come so that you can overcome in all the situations. Well, if you're going to overcome, there's got to be stuff to overcome. Amen? So I'm good with that. Amen? Problem is, in James it says, every time you have a trial or test, you should count that for an opportunity of joy. Now that's where it gets difficult for me. I got to say, how do you find joy in a diagnosis of cancer? You know, how do you find joy when one of your children gets put in prison? How do you find joy on your way to rehab the sixth time? How do you find joy in that? Well, the truth is you don't find joy in that. The truth is you find joy in the Lord. Amen. He heard me say this the other night. And now he's being smart. <laughs> he's a good guy. That's a skater right there. Ooh, dude. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, our own gang sign around here, Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, uh, and if you do this, it means you really mean it. Whoa, you know. So, so you don't find joy in the situations. You find joy in the Lord. And the joy, of the, Lord, the joy of the Lord, as it says in Nehemiah, gives you the strength you need to overcome the situations. Because the word says that we are supposed to subdue the earth. That means the world is not supposed to subdue us. We're supposed to subdue the world. With the things that God gives us through the Holy Spirit, chief of these is joy because that's where your strength comes from. That's why so many of the situations in your life are trying to steal your joy. 
because you can have the word, but if you don't have joy, you know, you can have the spirit, but if you don't have joy, you can have all the knowledge you need. If you don't have joy, you can speak in tongues and it's just a clanging cymbal and, and, and a noisy thing unless you have the love and joy of the Lord because that's where the strength and all those things come from. Amen? I mean, having those things without joy is like having a, a, a gun without bullets, you know? Uh, it's a very nice thing. If they get close enough, you can club them over the head, you know? But uh, anyway... So, you find joy in the Lord. Gives you the ability, as James says, to endure the situation. And the endurance that you experience in these situations brings you toward perfection. And the perfection is discernment of the will of God for your life. The more times you overcome, the more of the will of God is exposed to you the more you have a chance to follow the will of the Lord and the spirit and the joy in the spirit gives you the ability to do that my son this is going to be a modified story I have eight children I have six daughters and two sons I have 16 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren innumerable nieces, nephews, sons and daughters in the Lord and for most of the world I'm known as Pappy. Even if you get on my if you get on my Facebook, if you get on my Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> well, if you tweet on Twitter. It was tw why don't they call it Twitter? Well, why don't they call it Twitter cuz you tweet. Yeah. So you're not a Twitter. You don't go in there and twit. <laughs> Although I do I do tweet to some twits, if you know what I'm saying. And some of those uh, twits tweet back. <laughs> what a tweet. But anyway, uh, so if you go on my Twitter, <laughs> if you go on my Twitter, if you go on my Facebook, uh, MikeWarnke.org, that's my website, uh, la, 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 la. If you go any of those places, you'll find me posting all the time, and I'll always sign Papa or Pappy depending on which group we're talking about. So I enjoy being a parent. I enjoy being a grandparent a lot more uh, <laughs> because grandchildren are given to us by God to get even. Because <laughs> we will let you do anything, amen? Because we know it aggravates your parents. <laughs> and we are just getting even, you know? I had a daughter, my daughter, Michelle, honey, if you're online today, you were that kid that always said, why? I could say, you can't have that. You'd say, why? I'd say, you can't wear that. You'd say, why? I'd say, you can't car date at six. And you'd say, why? You can't wear makeup when you're four. And you'd say, why? You can't eat that. Why? You can't have that. Why? You can't date him. Why? 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 And I told you, as a good parent, you wait until you have children of your own, and then you'll know why. Well, she has, she had, they're, they're grown now, but she had two little girls, and they were full of it, man. One went 90 miles an hour this way, and the other one went 90 miles an hour that way, and they could clear a standard size room in 3.7 seconds, you know. Actually, in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know. 
And she'd be running around going, quit that, stop that, put that down, leave that alone, don't do that. You'll hurt yourself, you'll burn yourself, you'll get dirty. Keep that thing out of your, keep that thing out of your hair, keep your finger out of your nose, pull up your dress, no, put down your dress, don't do that, quit, quit, quit. Stop, stop, stop. And then she'd look at me and help me and I'd go, no. <laughs> Not my job, thank you very much. My job is to go, boy, what's that in the dog's dish? It sure looks yummy from up here. <laughs> you know, hallelujah. Anyway, my son Brendan. Oh, what a boy. I, uh, he's my firstborn, my eldest son. There's an older sister. She's precious. She's the one I was just talking to. Now, Brendan died in uh, 2009, in December, when he was 39 years old, and he left the most precious little boy behind, named Oliver. And he had lost a lifelong battle with drugs and alcohol. Brendan was saved at a very young age. He decided to follow Jesus at a very young age. He received the grace of God at a very young age. But Brendan had three things that he could never do. He was easy with the Lord being his savior because that's the guy that comes and, you know, yanks you out of the fire. But he had a trouble making Jesus Lord because that's someone that has authority in your life. And Brendan was afraid of the church because I've been a minister for nearly 40 years and he has seen how the body of Christ has treated me and how the body of Christ has treated others that he loves and he was determined in his life to never put himself in that situation and it wasn't that he didn't love God but he was determined not to serve God's people so he was able to make Jesus Savior but never Lord as a result of that he had his own kind of ministry with people like him and he is a very, he was in a very alternative lifestyle sort of human being, you know? Six foot four, tattooed, all over the place, facial piercings, you know? I remember one time he had this outfit, Doc Martens, cut off jeans, and a t-shirt that said, love Jesus or I'll kill you. It was just a different kind of ministry, you know? Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> you know, he was... Uh, you know, and off and on, you know, he'd have a, a beard, or then he'd have a mohawk, and then, you know, one time he dyed his hair green, and I'm talking jelly bean green here, too. Um, so he was just that boy, and he had friends who were just like him, and he would never leave them, ever. He was a loyal to a fault. When he passed away, we had to have two memorial services, one in Lexington, Kentucky, where he'd gone to college and one in California where he grew up just to accommodate all of his friends. And both of those services were, it was like the circus came to town because all of what Brendan was was, uh, you know, expressed in all his friends. So there were mohawks and green hair and, and people with bells in their nose and stuff. It was cool. Um, <laughs> no, I like that stuff. I'm not going to problem. So, um, but they all said the same thing. Every time I needed somebody, Brendan was always there. When I got out of rehab, it was Brendan that came to pick me up. 
When I went through my surgery and it came out of the anesthetic, the first thought face I saw was Brendan's. And when I needed a little something, Brendan always got it for me. When I needed a place to crash, Brendan was always there. And if I ever saw the love of Jesus in anybody, it was him. And during the times when he was sober, um, he had a Bible study in his house, him and a young Presbyterian seminarian from Lexington Theological Seminary. And it was for all the food workers in Lexington all the cooks and waitresses and dishwashers because Brendan was a chef. He had started cooking when he went to UK and he graduated from UK with a you know, degree in English, but he said, you know, in order to teach, I'm gonna have to take a pay cut, you know, so it's not right and that's another sermon, but anyway. So, you know, uh, he was just a good guy, but his friends and their problems would bra drag him down and he would get involved, he would get tired. He wouldn't pay attention to what he was eating and stuff. And he would get depressed. Now, for Brendan to get depressed is a very major thing because he had bipolar disorder. So when he'd fall off the edge, he would self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. And Brendan did everything. I mean, he did heroin, he did acid, he did everything, everything, everything. I cannot think of a drug that he never took. And he was also the kind of person that didn't drink a drink, he drank a bottle. And he didn't drink a bottle, he drank three bottles, you know. And the last, year, last two years of his life, it was pretty traumatic for him because he'd gone through a divorce because of the drugs and alcohol. And his wife would not let him see his son. And it broke his, it broke his heart. So in those last years, he was in the hospital five times. He was in rehab twice. And finally, and finally he passed away. Finally he went into the hospital the last time out in California. And, and, he, and he passed away. He was in a coma for about a week. Then he came out of his coma for about a week, which wasn't supposed to happen. Then at the end of the week he went back into his coma. He never came out of that coma. And he died in a really sweet little hospice with real beds and real people. And, and no white wall, walls, and no chrome, and no naugahyde. And for a lot of reasons, there's a lot more to this story, I'm just not gonna take your time this morning to tell it, but for a lot of reasons, that morning, when he passed, 3.20 in the morning, when everybody converged on the place, I was the first one to get there. There's a lot of reasons for that, and someday when I have lots and lots of time, I'll tell you why. But in the beginning, right after he passed, I was alone with him. And I went into his room, I sat down, I closed the door, I threw back his sheets, and I grabbed hold of his feet, and he was still warm. And I just, I prayed like I've never prayed in my entire life, and he just grew cold under my hands. And I was angry. I was very angry. I did something I never do, I asked why no answer to the question why. The only answer to the question why is because. You don't ask why, you ask what. What do I see? What do I get? What do I need to understand? What are you saying to me, Lord? Not why, but I ask it. I said, why are you doing this to me? How could you do this to me? I've served you for over 40 years, Lord. Good days, bad days, up days, down days, mountaintops, valleys, rain, snow, snow, shine, all of it. And my 
and my reward is a dead son? It's not like we don't know the power of God. My wife, two weeks earlier, had prayed for a blind lady in Scotland on a Friday night. By Monday morning, she was getting her driver's license. So it's not like we don't know, and it's not like we haven't been used, but I have a dead son now. It's unbelievable. It's unspeakable. It's unfathomable. It's not understandable, and it takes your breath away. It is the rake. And the Lord spoke to me. Now, I wasn't hearing voices, but those of you that are people who walk consistently with the Lord know that you can hear from him. And he spoke to me. And he said, Mike, he said, I know this is killing you. And I'm really sorry. But this isn't about you. This is about him and me. Because he's not just your son. Mine too. And it's time for him to come home. Because he can't do this anymore. His body can't heal anymore. And if I raise him up, which I have done countless times before, he'll only wind up here again. Brendan used to look at me, he'd be so stoned he could hardly talk. And he'd go, you know what, Dad? One of these days I'm going to have a testimony. So that morning the Lord said, I can't see you suffer anymore. I gather you to myself. I'll take you home. And you will have a testimony, my son, and your father will give it. And I looked at him and I said, you have never done one thing I ever wanted you to do, my son. You've never kept one of my rules or taken any of my advice. You never lived your life according to the way I saw fit to tell you to live it. And none of that changed your DNA one bit. You are Brendan Michael Warnke. You were born Brendan Michael Warnke. You leave here. Brendan Michael Warnke. And all of your mistakes never changed that. And the Lord spoke and said, sort of like me. We're these new creatures in Christ. And we are imperfect. Stumbling toward the cross with the light that we have today. All our mistakes and all our foibles will not change our DNA nor erase the grace of God in our lives. Brendan came into this world, my beloved son, and he left this world, my beloved son. His mistakes did not change who he was. And his mistakes didn't rob him of his salvation. His mistakes just caused him to die at 39. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I always, always thought that that was some sort of spiritual imperative. But the truth of the matter is the wages of sin is death. Again, the Bible means exactly what it says. When the Lord tells you guys that he doesn't want you to engage in certain things, he's not trying to rain on your parade or blow your party. He just doesn't want you to die before you get old enough to get your blessings. You know what I mean? I mean, it's real simple here. 
I mean, really, have you ever heard of anybody being so drunk on their way home from church after praise and worship that they crossed the double yellow line and hit a carload of innocent people and killed them all? No, but that's what happens in the world. Did you ever hear of anybody overdosing from Bible study? No, but that's what happens in the world, isn't it? Did you ever hear of anybody getting an incurable disease from uh, uh, unprotected praise and worship? No. <laughs> but trying to find joy in the world, that's what you get. Amen? Look, the wages of sin is death. The Lord doesn't want you to do that stuff because he doesn't want you to die. And Brendan could never separate himself from the things that were killing him. This life was death to him. But death was the door to the life he always wanted to live. So, thank you, son, for your testimony. I love you. Thank you for listening to my son's testimony and understanding when I tell you the place to find joy is in the Lord and not in your situations. I am not sharing you with you a theory. I am sharing with you what I know because my style is conversational and my theology is experiential. In other words, I know him. So, God bless you. Thank you.